If a coyote crosses the border and no one is there to see it, does it make drop? You know, there are those in Washington who will tell you no. And as planes land all over the country loaded with illegals, who dares to call out the truth? I'll tell you who. Dan Newman on TNN, the Truth News Network. And with today's lesson, here's Dan. Well, the illegals that are landing all over the nation, it's not just planes. It's planes, trains, automobiles, and buses. (laughs) And they're going everywhere and driving politicians around the United States that aren't accustomed to having all these illegals coming into their backyards. They're finding out what it's like for Greg Abbott, what it's like for New Mexico's governor, and also Arizona and California's governors. It's not a good thing. It's not an easy thing to overcome either. Well, of course, today, on this Friday, we are looking back at a long, long stellar career of Queen Elizabeth II. And uh, I, I I just put two and two together yesterday, and I realized she became Queen of England before I was born. Now, I thought I was old. Oh my gosh, 96 years old was the queen when she passed away yesterday. Unreported cause speculation is is that she probably had a massive stroke the night before because the news came out when it came out. It wouldn't give any details. And it was very grave the way the message was given to the media around the world. And that usually pretends something very serious and very quick. And that would fall into the category of a major, major stroke. We're going to get into, and I'm going to let you hear a tribute from somebody that knew the queen and knows what that queen, king, royalty thing is better than any of us here on this side of the pond, Pierce Morgan. We're going to let you listen in just a moment to a really good tribute he gave to the queen yesterday. But before we do that, I want to point something out to you. There are some people here in the United States that have just gone absolutely stark raving crazy, praising the fact that the queen is dead. The queen is dead. They're glorifying in it. They're reveling in it. Who are these people? Tucker Carlson took this on last night. It's not easy to maintain your dignity while living in the public eye. Most of us could not pull it off for an afternoon. Queen Elizabeth did it for more than 70 years. I want to ask you all, she wrote shortly before her coronation in 1953, whatever your religion may be, to pray for me on that day, to pray that God may give me wisdom and strength to carry out the solemn promises I shall be making and that I may faithfully serve him and you all the days of my life. For the most part, she did just that. And that was not a small achievement given the period she lived in. The week that Elizabeth was coronated, Edmund Hillary, a British subject from New Zealand, a beekeeper, became the first man in history to summit Mount Everest. The achievement seemed symbolic at the time, Britain on top of the world. But in fact, Britain was already over, whether the British knew it or not. To this day, Britain claims to have won both of the 20th century's world wars, but together they destroyed that nation forever. After victory came humiliation. The empire evaporated, and along with it, Britain's self-confidence and ultimately its self-respect. 
It's hard to believe now, but Britain wasn't always a regional banking center slash refugee camp. It was a real place with a history and a language and a culture and a genuinely remarkable people. A country in the North Atlantic the size of Alabama that somehow took over the world and ruled it with decency unmatched by any empire in human history. The British Empire was not perfect, but it was far more humane than any other, ever. It's gone now, barely even remembered. Queen Elizabeth II was the last living link to a truly great Britain. Today on social media, the usual ghouls celebrated her death. Quote, may her pain be excruciating, a Carnegie Mellon professor called Uju Anya wrote on Twitter of the Queen. May she die in agony. Various know-nothings in the media, including a columnist at The Atlantic and a couple of employees of NBC News, seconded that thought. The British Empire was evil, they wrote, apparently totally unaware of what came after it. And speaking of what did come after the British Empire, how, for example, did Africa fare after the British left? Let's see. Uganda got Idi Amin, who was a cannibal. Rhodesia became Zimbabwe and then became the poorest country on the planet under the racist lunatic Robert Mugabe. As of tonight, South Africa is still being run into the ground by an incompetent kleptocrat called Cyril Ramaphosa. So it's hard to see any of that as an improvement because it's not an improvement. Sorry, Atlantic Magazine. And now, of course, the entire continent of Africa has a new master, the Chinese government. China is the latest colonial power to dominate Africa. Its subjects will be pining for the British soon, assuming they are not already. In an ideal world, there would not be empires, no empires, only sovereign nations. But we don't have that world, and we never have had that world, going back to at least the Assyrians 1,400 years before Christ. In the real world, the one that we live in, strong countries dominate weak countries, and that trend shows no sign of changing. The very least you can say about the English is that they took their colonial responsibilities seriously. They didn't just take things, they added when the U.S. government withdrew from Afghanistan after 20 years, we left behind airstrips, shipping containers, and guns. When the British pulled out of India, they left behind an entire civilization, a language, a legal system, schools, churches, and public buildings, all of which are still in use today. Here's the train station the English built in Bombay, for example. There's nothing like that in Washington, D.C. right now, much less in Kabul or Baghdad. Today, India is far more powerful than the U.K., the nation that once ruled it, and yet, after 75 years of independence, has that country produced a single building as beautiful as the Bombay train station that the British colonialists built? No, sadly, it has not. Not one. So despite what they may be claiming on Twitter tonight, the British Empire was more than just genocide. In fact, the British did not commit genocide, except arguably against the Dutch during the Boer War. The British did give the world the Magna Carta and habeas corpus and free speech. They helped end the transatlantic slave trade, as well as the ritual murder of widows in India. The British Empire spread Protestant Christianity to the entire world. It published some of the greatest literature ever written and produced the finest manufactured goods ever made anywhere at any time, including now. It was an impressive place run by impressive people. We will see many empires going forward, but we will never see one so benign. That's true. And because it's true, the people who would like to run the world in a far harsher way would like to make certain that you don't know it. And so they destroy the evidence, the evidence that ever existed. Here they are tearing down a statue of a British philanthropist in the UK two years ago.
destroy the statue, erase the memory. That's why they're doing it. Slander the ruler, discredit the entire period she lived in. And that's exactly why they're attacking Queen Elizabeth tonight. Not because she was a bad person, she wasn't a bad person, but because she lived during a better time. Let me ask you this. Who in world history had a perfect record? Who never made a mistake? Who was never wrong? Who didn't take advantage of some people in world history? Honestly, I can only think of one person, and that was Jesus Christ when he walked the earth for those 33 years. Everybody else, believe it or not, has been 100% human. And that means open to making mistakes, open to making some bad choices. Nobody's perfect. I don't care what anybody says. Nobody is perfect. And so all of these self-righteous people, and let me just put in, uh, let me just tell you who it is. It's left-wing radicals that hate anybody that is not a person of color. That's who's going nuts, waving flags, screaming loudly, gleefully that Queen Elizabeth II has died. Queen Elizabeth II never had a slave, never committed genocide, was never part of a government that committed genocide. So, is there a human being in the United States that can look over their shoulders and not see some nasty mistakes that were made? Do you know who the original purveyors of slavery were in the old South in the United States? Do you know who it was? It was the Barbary pilots, pirates from North Africa. They were going through all these African countries were enslaving people, bringing them to the Mediterranean coast, and were selling them around the world. It was so bad there that Thomas Jefferson, when he was president, he fought a war against the Barbary pilots to stop them from enslaving Africans and selling them around the world. Nobody talks about that. Check your history. It's factual. I think it is sick when somebody takes a moment like this and jumps up on a grave marker and starts screaming and hollering, she deserved it. And that's exactly what's going on around the nation with these big self-proclaimed elites that are doing it. Look, you, if you're objective, you can always look around you and you'll find somebody that is not quite as good as you are. But when you do that, look the other way and you'll see somebody that you're not quite as good as. Quid pro quo. That applies to a lot more than President Joe Biden, right? So let's listen to a really good a really good story about Queen Elizabeth II, a tribute to her by Pierce Morgan. 
Well, this is one of the saddest and most momentous turning points in the history of the United Kingdom. There's nobody in this country or the world who hasn't lived the majority of their lives under the reign of Queen Elizabeth II. For 70 years, she served this country with astoundingly dedicated duty. I struggle to even imagine a Britain without this Queen. But with great sadness, we now have to imagine it because the moment we've all been dreading has finally come. And tonight, everything changes. Her death is an enormous blow, not just to the British people, but to our national psyche. To people around the world who don't fully understand our deep affinity with this Queen, it's as simple as this. Our monarchy and Her Majesty are the very essence of being British. As Abraham Lincoln, apple pie and the Constitution are to being American, so the royal family is to Great Britain. More than an institution, it's an identity, it's who we are. It's the Magna Carta, the Palace of Westminster, the Battle of Waterloo. It's Austin, Dickens, Shakespeare, the Beatles. It's crushing the Nazis. It's Churchill and the Blitz spirit. It's Royal Ascot and the Chelsea Flower Show, cricket at Lords, Wimbledon tennis, football at Wembley. Nothing and nobody has symbolised what it means to be British better than Queen Elizabeth. She's always been there. She had an aura of invincibility that sadly today has been shattered. And now we have to learn as a country to live without her. Whatever your views of the royal family, wherever you live in the world, you will remember this day because it's history unfolding before our eyes. This remarkable little lady was not just our longest serving monarch, she was the second longest reigning monarch in all of history. She appointed 15 British prime ministers. She hosted 13 of the last 14 American presidents. She was our queen for 30% of America's entire history. Think about that. She held more than 100 state visits for the world's leaders. She was the head of state herself in 17 countries. She was the head of the Commonwealth of Nations. And she guided us all through the best of times and the worst of times, through wars, terrorism, pandemics, natural disasters, financial crises. Whatever it was, she was there with dignity, duty, stoicism, and that famous stiff upper lip. Her last act this week was to appoint our new prime minister. Remarkably, staggeringly, she was dutiful until the very, very end. I'm so very glad and so very grateful that we all have had the chance to say thank you at her Platinum Jubilee celebrations this summer. And she was able to see just how much she meant to us. Elizabeth II demonstrated the very best of our British values in her leadership. She represented those values to the world. She was our greatest export, our greatest leader, the greatest of Britons. When Her Majesty the Queen died this afternoon in Balmoral, a little piece of all of us here in Britain died with her. What an awesome tribute to a great person by Pierce Morgan. Now, let me just say this. You just heard in the first 15 minutes of this show on this Friday, you heard two very positive tributes to the Queen. And you heard about some very vile people that danced on her grave. And of course, she's not even in the ground yet. And they both actually, two of the three you just heard from, were Americans. One third of who you just heard about are also Americans, and they represent a part of our country 
that many of us wish didn't raise up and make noise like they're making now about this great woman. She did so many great things. Why is it that somebody always has to find something bad to say about anyone and everyone? It's especially sad when the when those people have passed away. Oh well, I guess that's human nature. So, let me tell you what's just ahead in just moments. We're going to we're going to dial the 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 knob of ugliness. We're going to dial it up. Yep, we're going to do it on Friday. We've got a lot of exposing that we're going to do, and it begins with guess who? Mr. Biden, President Biden. And uh, then we're going to go south to Miami and we're going to start opening your eyes to some things you're going to shake your head at today, Friday, and some of it all the way through the weekend. Welcome to McDonald's. Can I take your order? Yeah, I'll have a pre-meeting pump-up, a Monday fixer, and a screaming boss recovery. So that's one peppermint mocha, one McCafe frappe, and one fruit smoothie? Yep. Name your drink. McDonald's has it. We're your destination for those special flavors that help you get through your day. Get any small McCafe smoothie, frappe, shake, or espresso drink for only $2. Even the delicious new peppermint mocha. For a limited time, price and participation may vary. Do you mind? I was in a good place. And the world changed. Daily uncertainties became huge struggles. I've missed so much, especially the grandkids. A lot happened to all of us. It's okay to not feel fine. Small things each day go a long way. Make time for you. Take, Take care, care, me. Create a healthier relationship with your mind. Search Dear Mind for more. Authorized by the Queensland Government, Brisbane. When your cable company keeps you on hold, you get angry. When you get angry, you go blow off steam. When you go blow off steam, accidents happen. When accidents happen, you get an eye patch. When you get an eye patch, people think you're tough. When people think you're tough, people want to see how tough. And when people want to see how tough, you wake up in a roadside ditch. Don't wake up in a roadside ditch. Get rid of cable and upgrade to DirecTV. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Papa John is not interested in quality, he's obsessed with it. Because Papa John's a pizza maker, it's what he does. That's why you've got Papa's quality guarantee, signed by the man himself. Love your pizza, or we'll deliver another absolutely free. It's my guarantee. Better ingredients, better pizza, Papa John's. And right now, save 25% when you spend 25 pounds or more online. Well, let me just, before I get into the ugly stuff, let me just say, I had a very pleasant phone call yesterday afternoon. I got a phone call from the East Coast, a man that uh, when we were boys, just becoming men, were in college together our freshman years. I won't give you his, his full name. His first name is Carl. And Carl was went to Louisiana Tech as a pitcher to play baseball. And his nickname there was Smoke. Because Carl could throw, and this is college, and this is back a long time ago. This is in 1972. 
he could throw a 90-plus mile-an-hour fastball. The problem with Carl, the problem with Smoke, was very few people ever knew when it was going to go, but when it got there, it was going 92 miles an hour. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But he moved on. He went to a college in uh, North Carolina, I believe, and he played football there. And it was very interesting. The next year or the following year, Louisiana Tech, my college, and his former college, and also his college were in football playoffs, and he was a quarterback. And he came to Louisiana Tech, and he and his fellow teammates went back to North Carolina with their tails tucked. Anyway, Smoke and I, we shared some great memories. And folks, look in your rearview mirror and think about the good circumstances, the good things that happened in your life early on. Think about college years, even if you didn't go to college when you were 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. Think about the good things. We've all had bad things happen, no doubt about it. Don't spend your time concentrating more than half of it on bad things. Give a weighted plus to all the good memories that you have looking back. I'll just tell you a couple of them that uh, we reminisced about. Uh, We both played golf. And in fact, Carl was on the golf course yesterday when he called me. And we were not, either one of us, good golfers. And we went to a little course in Dubok, Louisiana. Yep, it really exists. It's a little town, Dubok. It was about seven or eight miles north of Ruston, Louisiana, which is the location of Louisiana Tech University. And we played at a course called Sandy Dunes. It was a nine-hole course, and they had two sets of tees. You played the front nine, you played from this set of tees. And they moved it back a little bit for the back nine. But in front of number nine and number 18, there was a pond. Carl liked to drive the golf cart. And he liked to drive the golf cart like he threw a fastball. It would go really fast, but you were never really sure where it went. And so he was being stupid. He hit his, he hit his uh, tee shot in front, right in front of that pond. And so he's driving for it. And at the last moment, he hit his brakes. And as he hit his brakes, he made a, a very sharp right turn. And the golf cart went over into the pond. He was on the bottom, (laughs) and I was on the top. Neither of us was hurt. Kind of a stupid memory, but a, a memory no less. And he confessed something yesterday. I've always had motorcycles. I had a motorcycle in college. And uh, I was out of town. I don't remember what it was, but I was not in town for several days. And Smoke decided he was going to um, borrow my, my motorcycle. And he did. And he confessed yesterday of the stupid things that he did with it. And one of it was to get up on railroad tracks and drive my my motorcycle on railroad tracks. Part of that was he dropped it and he had some damage done to it. I think it was turn signals, he said. And before I got back in town, he went to the dealer and got some new ones and fixed them himself. Never confessed that he had done that. But you know what? Looking back, those are great memories from college. We all need to concentrate more on the good things. 
And oh, by the way, he told me yesterday that he plays golf and listens to this show every day, live from North Carolina. So smoke, thanks for the memories, and I'm really glad that you're sharing these memories as we both get really, really old. <laughs> so let's just move on to, um, let's, let's quit talking about regal things. And let's talk about the way our president runs our nation, not quite like Queen Elizabeth ran the UK, Joe Biden. Oh, he's up. He is screaming and hollering and patting himself on the back today. At a reception yesterday for the Democrat National Committee in Maryland, he said this, quote, it doesn't do a whole lot to show the new poll showing me beating Trump by six or eight or whatever the hell the numbers are, he said during those remarks. And he was likely referring to a Wall Street Journal poll that was released last week that showed that Biden holds a six-point lead over Donald Trump in a hypothetical rematch. 50% of registered voters in the poll said they would probably or definitely vote for Biden, while just 44% chose Trump. Now, for everybody in the room, I want you to listen closely. If you believe this Wall Street Journal poll, raise your hand. Come on, raise your hand. Well, the only other person in the room with me is my dog who's sitting on the broadcast console, and she didn't even raise her head, yet alone her paw. I don't believe it's true. And why don't you believe it's true? Because yesterday, another poll came out that shows that 52% of Americans polled over 2,000 in this particular survey, 52% want Biden impeached. Now, how do you support him in an election against Donald Trump, but you want him out of office today? That possible election wouldn't even happen until 2024. And who knows what's going to happen between here and 2024. I can promise you one thing. It's not going to get any better under President Biden. And of course, he was really up there at the DNC pushing hard He's got to save the Democrat Party in the midterms. We have to win this off your election for more reasons than just being able to move our agenda forward. We have to. Biden urged Democrats, independents, and even moderate Republicans to reject the extreme proposals from MAGA Republicans. He called us all. I'm not a Republican, but I'm a conservative. He called every Republican that believes that the MAGA policies were pretty much good things. He called every one of you a climate denier and that you are blocking Democrats' green energy agenda. Guess what? Unfortunately, what's happening now, he said, nobody denies we have a climate crisis. Biden said that, boasting that the climate deniers lost. Their survival of our planet is literally on the ballot. He's talking about the midterms. Well, he lied. He lied when he said this quote, nobody denies we have a climate crisis. I'm raising my hand. I deny it. 
I know who controls the climate. And it's not Joe Biden. It's not any leader of any other foreign country, even though there is massive pollution from India and China, the two most evil polluters on the planet. Biden never gets on their business about this, does he? All he does is says, we've got to show the world that we're so stupid we believe that electric cars can solve whatever the climate crisis is that he's putting out there and saying it's real. First of all, we can't produce domestically. We can't produce the sufficient elements to create the batteries that it will take to replace every evil gasoline or diesel vehicle like Joe Biden and all these stupid governors are saying now. They're passing this legislation that we're going to be totally off fossil fuels in our vehicles on the road by 2035. It's impossible. It's a pipe dream. I mean, they say that. They're out there thumping their chest and then 30 minutes later, some of these governors are getting on television and they're saying, hey, you gotta, you got to slow down on your use of electricity. You know, we're the climate controllers, we're the climate fixers, but we can't give you enough juice because we did away with fossil fuels. You remember when Joe Biden was inaugurated on January 20th of 2021, he did away with fossil fuels. We're going to get there but we can't do it yet. So here's what you need to do. Don't drive your car. Maybe two days, three days, four days. Maybe you should just walk where you need to go. And oh, by the way, you make sure you turn those thermostats up to 78 or higher. It just doesn't make sense. Nothing in this plan even sounds remotely credible to me. And I've been trying to find goodness in it for some time. Talking about climate change is one thing. Talking about being prudent and reducing reducing bad things in our air, reducing pollution of all kinds of issues, those are credible. Those are things we can do. And those are things we need to do. Those are things we've been doing in the United States, leading the world for decades our carbon emissions every year without climate change extremism have been going down more percentage-wise than any other country on the planet. So here's the conundrum. Their big-time centennial goal at the end of this century, let me tell you what they say is going to be the mark to prove that climate change, we've taken control of it and we fixed it. You know what the measure is? The measure is that by the end of 2099, the temperature of Earth, the average, will be down one degree. So think about that. They want you to reach deep in your pocket every year for as long as you remain alive and your children and your grandchildren to continue to reach into their pockets and turn over trillions of dollars to this government and the only mark of success that they say we've got to get to 
is one degree less in temperature. And my question to you is, hey, what's the difference between 75 and 76 degrees? Is it worth hundreds of trillions of dollars? It's not worth that to me. So I think Teslas are amazing cars. When I was in Europe on business, I took Uber Black and in Zurich, Switzerland, Uber Black meant you went in either a big Mercedes or a Tesla. My first ride in a Tesla ever, I was blown away at how cool those cars are. But then I began to realize that, you know, we taxpayers, we underwrite a percentage of every sale of a Tesla motor car. We've given money to Elon Musk and Tesla to help them get that done. It will never, electric automobiles will never stand on their own. It ain't going to happen. It just doesn't make sense. But you know what does? Oh, carbon fossil fuel energy. That still makes more sense than the other stuff. And I'm still trying to figure out how they're going to create a long enough extension cord so that uh, those jets can fly successfully from Los Angeles to Hawaii. Got to be a long cord, doesn't it? Well, let's go some other place for some extremism. After listening to three hours of very heated debate, a board, the Miami-Dade School Board, Miami, Florida, that school board voted 8-1 to to strike down a measure that would have included teaching 12th graders about Supreme Court cases Obergfell versus Hodges that invents the constitutional right to gay marriage and Bostock versus Clayton County adding a sexual orientation protection to Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. Now, the school board voted 8-1 to against this measure. Last year, they voted 7-1 to in favor of defining October as LGBTQ History Month, something that did not include teaching about Obergfell or Bostock. The lone vote in favor was school board member Lucia Baez-Jeller, who proffered the measure. There is an election year. And the anti-LGBTQ plus rhetoric is a tool used by some to spread misinformation, she said. This is just plain disinformation. The outlet also reported there were 35 to 45 people waiting in line to comment in support or against the bill or the measure at the school board meeting. Those who spoke in favor of it argued the passage of the measure would create a safe and reaffirming environment. Max Finning, who is in charge of PRISM Florida, which, according to the Herald, is a nonprofit that provides sexual health information to LGBTQ plus youth, took it several steps further by comparing those against the measure, and you pick the word and plug it in. You know what it is. It's not extremist. It's Nazi. You're a Nazi if you don't support that bill. He spoke with a pink triangle on his shirt in a reference to the pink triangle Nazis made gay people wear, saying LGBTQ history is American history. 
The all-too-predictable tactics from the left comparing those who disagree with them to Nazis did not sway the board, however. Many who spoke against it were concerned that it was yet another instance of a school board attempting to indoctrinate children with one pastor telling the Herald that it was a Trojan horse. Other opponents brought up parental rights and parental responsibilities in teaching kids about LGBTQ persons. While Florida passed the Parental Rights and Education Bill, it only prohibits the teaching of sexual orientation through third grade. Miami-Dade's measure to teach about the Supreme Court cases was for 12th graders, but the district would still regard the entire month of October as one defined by different sexual orientations. Baez Jeller insisted parents and students could opt out of the Supreme Court portion of the measure. Well, the vote comes as the Miami-Dade County School Board flipped to conservative control on August 23rd, though new members are not set to take office until November. Miami-Dade, by the way, is the country's fourth largest public school district. Interesting take here. Let me tell you what's driving all of this. The people, and I'm going to say this in love and acceptance, but I'm going to say it in a tone of truthfulness. The people that are out there, that have been out there, that have been pursuing these LGBTQ issues around the nation, they have been bullying, on the most part, people that want to stand up against them. And they just call names. There's no science, there's no proof that what they're promoting absolutely is factual. And yet they want it included. They're demanding it be included in schools. And they demand that the schools are the ones that will teach this to our children. They've been absolutely militant through the years. But oh, one good thing came out of the COVID-19 pandemic when schools were closed. Moms and dads were at home with their student children looking at these Zoom classroom meetings over their shoulders and were seeing some of the curriculum. And parents realized, OMG, my kids are being indoctrinated with things that are not educational. They're not of the structure that we have been told for generations are the important things our children learn at school. Sexual orientation to a four or five year old. Sexual orientation. I'm gonna I'm gonna close this just by saying this much. There is no such thing as sexual orientation. You're either male or you're either female. That's a fact, and it will continue to be a fact unless and until someone scientifically proves that the plumbing isn't the deciding factor on whether you're male or female. And oh, by the way, there's that little other thing, DNA. You know, we got crammed down our throats for two years. You've got to listen to the science, follow the science, get away from this social engineering thing, and just listen to us.
this just frosts me. I've got grandchildren. I have one, my youngest grandchild just started middle school. And I can't even bear to think about him being gotten in his face by someone who he has been told you got to trust and listen to this person and try to force this mindset down his throats with nothing to back it up in the way of it being factual. Give us facts. And if it's determined, when it's determined, then let's sit down and have a conversation about it. But deciding one day you're going to be male, the next day you're going to be a, a female, and then the next day you're in transition, and you arbitrarily make that determination? Come on now. If you, if you listen to what I just said the way I said it, which is factual, it makes absolutely no sense. Sarah Palin put it succinctly. You can put lipstick on a pig, but it's still a pig. You can't change your gender. You cannot change your gender. No matter what kind of sex orientation surgery you may have, the drugs, the transition, all those kind of things, none of that matters. The only thing that matters biologically is DNA. Period. Find a way to change that. Let's talk. But until then, let's just go to the house and do the best with what we have that is factual, that you can just root into and not have to worry about having hurt feelings and being able to lash or feeling like you need to lash out at others who don't feel the same way that you do. Just a thought. Just a thought. Well, very quietly in the Fuhrer this week, President Biden's deputies have released a new regulation, and this new regulation will accelerate the inflow and the naturalization of migrants who rely on taxpayer-funded welfare and other types of government aid. This welcome regulation, it supersedes the reform established by, guess who, the Orange Man, which denied residency and green cards to migrants classified as a public charge because they couldn't earn a living in the United States. The new regulation, we are told, reflects bipartisan establishments' eagerness to favor foreigners over Americans and also to import more workers, consumers, and renters, regardless of the economic impact on Americans' productivity, our pocketbooks, and our civic stability. Alejandro Mayorkas, the spokesperson of the century, head of the Department of Homeland Security, said this action ensures fair and humane treatment of legal immigrants and their U.S. citizen family members. Hmm. We will not penalize individuals for choosing to access the health benefits and other supplemental government services that are available to them. And uh, he's right. What a huge majority of the American public want is for them to access all of these things because they've gone through the legal process that enables them to access them, not arbitrarily a secretary of the cabinet of 
President Biden, that would be Alejandro Mayorkas, he sits in the White House. He sits in these cabinet meetings and he is up there and he's nodding at the president who is talking about, hey, we're not going to open up the border totally, but listen, let's get more of these people coming in, which is illegal as heck. It violates all kinds of federal immigration law and whoever violates them, I don't care who they are, I don't care who you are, they you, me, we all need to be held accountable according to the rule of law and the constitutional provisions. And by the way, Congress is the only entity that can make federal laws and require that they are followed by everybody in the executive branch, which, by the way, would be Alejandro Mayorkas. 52% of Americans want Joe Biden impeached. How many think, how many do you think that want Alejandro Mayorkas to be impeached? I, I don't even think he should be impeached. He can be, but he just needs to have his butt put in the street. I mean, he literally is standing at the border and waving, waving all these illegals in. And they acknowledged, oh yeah, there are some bad people that are coming in with them. They don't give a rip about the fact that we have caught enough fentanyl alone, not mentioning the other illegal drugs that come across our border, enough fentanyl to kill every human in the United States five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten times over. And in the demographic 18 to 49, more than ever before are dying from drug overdoses, and they're wondering why. And of course, they, they, they'll come up with a plan. Oh, we've got to do this. We've got to put them in these classes. We have to give them these alternative drugs. We need to help them. Here's what we're going to do. They've already done this. We're going to open up places where they are welcome to come. We'll provide them with all of the paraphernalia they need to inject into their bodies these illegal drugs but they won't be doing it with dirty instruments. So we're going to offer them that opportunity. That is the most insane thing that I have heard come out of our government. But they're doing it, and they think it's helping. They think it's helping. I think it's been funny to watch and listen to the furor in these cities where Governor Greg Abbott and also the governor of New Mexico and Arizona, they have decided that they're going to get the attention of all of the governors and mayors in these Democrat-controlled states and cities to understand what the cost is to the open borders. And these people, even with just a few thousand of these illegals being bused to these cities, across the United States by the state of Texas, state of Arizona, just a few of them. These people are going absolutely crazy. Washington, D.C., a council member there, Brianna Nado, on Thursday blamed Texas Governor Greg Abbott, Arizona Governor Doug Ducey for the migrant crisis, they're calling it, in Washington, D.C., which is, by the way, self-proclaimed to be a sanctuary city. And... This council member contended that 
They turned us into a border town. (laughs) So it's been said, but it's worth reiterating, that the governors of Texas and Arizona have created this crisis, she said yesterday, as the governors have sent migrant buses to Mayor Muriel Bowser's uh, D.C., and the federal government's not stepped up to assist the District of Columbia, she continued, as President Biden's Pentagon has rejected requests to activate the National Guard to assist the nation's capital. So, we along with our regional partners, she said, we will do what we've always done. We'll rise to the occasion. We've learned from border towns like El Paso and Brownsville. And in many ways, the governor of Texas and Arizona have turned us into a border town. We don't know how long this will take to resolve. We don't know how long they will continue busing. And so the right thing to do here is to be prepared to ensure we can greet every bus that we can get people off on the right foot. We can get them where they want to go, and that will ultimately help them in their immigration process. Her remarks came as the mayor, Mayor Bowser, declared a public emergency over migrants being bussed in from Texas and Arizona. Her declaration establishes a migrant services office within the Department of Human Services and directs the director of DHS to provide temporary services and supports to migrants arriving from the southern border states. Wow, that's a horrible thing for this District of Columbia, isn't it? They were lamenting, the mayor and everybody else up there, we've had had 3,000 of these people come. We, We don't have the infrastructure in place. We can't afford to support these people and house and feed them. Look what the mayor of New York City has done. He has basically, he has just turned into a name caller about Greg Abbott, the governor of Texas. I mean, he screams and hollers and he does all kind of stuff. None of it's going to work. These cities And these states are finding out what Texas has been dealing with for years. And guess what? They don't get compensated by the federal government for any of it. The taxpayers in their cities and states are having to do what the taxpayers in the cities in South Texas and across the state of Texas have been doing for all these years. You find a way to make it work. You try continually to get those in law enforcement On the federal level, certainly, those are the ones that have sole authority to weigh in on anything and everything to do with immigration. The federal government's control of our borders at the north and at the south. So you would think, based on that, they, the federal government, would force everybody in the system to obey and enforce the laws of the land that are passed by a Congress, House of Representatives and Senate, and then the passed bill goes to the president, whoever was president at the time, and has been signed into law. That means you're supposed to do one thing, one thing only. You swore an oath to do that one thing over and over again. What is it? I didn't hear you. 
execute the laws of the land and hold anybody that disagrees and therefore doesn't follow the laws, hold them criminally liable for their decision to not do it. There's no other alternative. Greg Abbott is showing these uh, mayors and these governors what Texas and these border towns in Texas have been dealing with. Let me just go back to this. In a two-year period, I'm not sure which two it was, several years ago, but in a two-year period, two years only, according to the uh, the Texas Department of, uh, which I, I guess it's the Department of Health, Maybe it's the Department of Public Safety. I think it is the DPS. They compiled the statistics. In two years, Texans, Texans alone, were the recipients of 600,000 felony criminal acts against them by illegals that our federal government has total responsibility over every part of Immigration, including what to do with these people that slip by and come in. They're not doing anything about it. Texas has had to. And 600,000 felony criminal acts were committed against Texans. And those acts ranged in everything from first-degree murder all the way down to uh, jaywalking, which is not a felony, so that doesn't fall into the numbers. But you get what I'm talking about. Federal government didn't weigh in and say, hey, look, buddy, we want to help you down there. We want to send you some money. Not a dime. Not a dime for the extra money that the state of Texas has to spend because on Alejandro Mayorkas's watch, the federal government is doing squat to enforce the rule of law there. I just can't believe any governor would have the kahunas to ignore the law. I can't imagine any cabinet secretary, Alejandro Mayorkas or anybody else, we're not going to support the rule of law. We're just going to wink at all these lawbreakers that are coming in, including terrorists, massive drug traffickers, human traffickers too. It's a lot to take in, but when you need a refresher, it's all here. 24-7, 365. Every podcast, every blog. TNN, the Truth News Network. Truthnewsnet.org. Dinner, dinner, dinner. Every day you have to think of what's for dinner. Well, now Subway has a solution that is sure to please every person you have to feed for that last meal of the day. It's called Dinner Tonight. Every day after 4 p.m., Subway is offering a Dinner Tonight special, which includes two regular 6-inch subs, two bags of chips, and two 21-ounce fountain drinks, all for just $11.99. This offer is available all day long on Sundays. Subway of Kodiak. Eat fresh. Have you ever wanted to learn a new language like French, Spanish, or Russian, but thought it would be too difficult and time-consuming? Then go to Babbel.com and try it for free. Babbel works because it's built around real life. It teaches you everyday practical conversations that you will actually use. In 15 minutes a day, you'll be on your way to speaking a new language in just a few weeks. Babbel uses a modern conversation-based technique that makes language engaging, fun, and memorable. It starts by teaching you words and phrases. Then, sentences gradually get more complex. Soon, you're practicing short conversations about real-life topics. 
Babbel is created by language experts who use the space repetition method to help you learn quickly and remember what you learned. With Babbel, you can speak a new language. Babbel, language for life. Celebrating 10 million subscriptions sold. Now try Babbel for free at Babbel.com. Just go to Babbel.com and start learning a new language today. That's Babbel.com. B-A-B-B-E-L.com. This is the truth your mama warned you about. TNN, the Truth News Network. Truthnewsnet.org. And Dan Newman. During that last segment, a story popped up. Somebody sent this to me, just went live. A group of over 100 migrants from the southern border were moved to an Illinois suburb after being welcomed in Chicago. Hmm. Chicago's a sanctuary city. And by the way, Cook County, which is where Chicago lies, Cook County is a sanctuary county. But the mayor there, (laughs) she moved the migrants to a suburb of Chicago that's not a sanctuary town or city. And the county that she sent them to is not a sanctuary county. An estimated 300 migrants have been bused from Texas to Chicago in the past two weeks. That's a huge amount, 300. Texas gets 3,000 a day. (laughs) While Chicago is a sanctuary city and Cook County is a sanctuary county, the migrants at the Burr Ridge Hampton Inn are in DuPage County, which is not a sanctuary county. However, Burr Ridge Republican Mayor Gary Grasso previously said he would work to secure the border and defund sanctuary cities. Now, the mayor said he is frustrated by the sudden influx of migrants. I'm the mayor of the village, he said. Somebody should have told me. I'm as frustrated as Mayor Lightfoot was in her not being told. I'm frustrated, but we're dealing with the situation, and I'm going to keep my residents and my businesses apprised. Now, he was referencing Mayor Lightfoot previously lashing out at Governor Abbott for the transportation of migrants, calling it unacceptable at a press conference. My frustration, she said, comes from the actions of the governor of Texas. There could be a level of coordination and cooperation, but he chooses to do none of those things. Instead, he chooses to send human beings across the country to an uncertain destination. Now, just stop for a second consider the irony of what she said. There could have been a level of coordination and cooperation. Well, guess what? There is no level of coordination and cooperation in any way from the sole authority in the nation that is over everything to do and deal with immigration. Who would that be? Joe Biden. They haven't reached out to coordinate anything with the state of Texas or the state of New Mexico or the state of Arizona or the state of California. They just open the floodgates and say, y'all deal with it. Don't call us and don't gripe to us. Deal with it. Lightfoot said, Abbott is manufacturing a human crisis and it makes no sense to me. Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker made similar comments accusing Abbott of treating migrants like cattle. Oh my gosh. Pritzker has no clue what he's talking about. Abbott shot back at Lightfoot's comments accusing her 
of deflecting the blame to him instead of President Biden. Biden's inaction at our border is putting the lives of Texans at risk and is overwhelming our communities. Texas is doing Biden's job to secure the border. Mayor Lightfoot's office hasn't responded to Governor Abbott's comments yet, and I'm sure that shocks you. We had a really strange story come out yesterday. When I heard about this, I went and I dug in trying to get even more details about it than I got at first. What is this about? A Clark County, Nevada Democrat official. Clark County is obviously Las Vegas. A Democrat official was arrested Wednesday evening on suspicion of murdering Las Vegas Journal Review investigative reporter Jeff German after a series of reports exposing corruption. This public administrator, Robert Tellis, was booked into Clark County Detention Center for suspicion of murder after this reporter, 69-year-old, his name again is Jeff German, was found dead outside his home with multiple stab wounds over the weekend. Authorities allege that Tellus, whom German had recently run investigative reports exposing corruption, had self-inflicted stab wounds when authorities arrested him following a standoff with SWAT at his home. The stunning development came a day after the cops asked for the public's help in identifying a suspect in this case. An early morning search of Tellus' home on Wednesday provided the first indication that the Friday killing might be related to German's work exposing public wrongdoing. The investigative reporter, German, was pursuing a potential follow-up story about Tellus in the weeks before he was killed. German spent months reporting on the turmoil surrounding Tellus's oversight of the public administrator's office. The 45-year-old Democrat lost his re-election bid in the primary after German's findings were published. German also had recently filed public records requests for emails and texts between Tellus and three other county officials. Can you imagine being that mad at somebody doing nothing but telling the truth? getting facts, even if the facts were uh, not very friendly, not very kind to you or about you. It's interesting that uh, anybody has the chutzpah to actually murder somebody for just doing their job like this. That guy really had to be in a bad place. Really had to be in a bad place. Well, we've got a midterm election coming up. Across the nation. We've had the primaries, now it's on to the face to face stuff. One of the most watched races is one down in Georgia. And you have two African American men that are running against us the incumbent, Raphael, what's his name? War, help me out here. Warnock, you know who I'm talking about. And then former. NFL running back, Herschel Walker. Um, One is a pastor of a church, one of the largest and most prominent Baptist 
uh, African-American churches in the nation, Raphael Warnock, and then Herschel Walker, of course, NFL fame. And uh, the incumbent, who was in a, a short term when he ran, he only ran for two years of his predecessor's uh, service as senator, he's up for re-election, and Herschel Walker is up against him, and Warnock refused to debate Herschel Walker. And it just got down to it. He was just getting blasted, was Warnock. And now he's agreed he's going to debate. Last night, Herschel Walker was on with Sean Hannity. We haven't heard a whole lot in the news directly from Herschel Walker, but we did last night. I guess the polls are bringing out the Senate candidates for the Democrats because uh, in Pennsylvania tonight, John Fetterman has now agreed to debate Dr. Mehmet Oz. So will the phony, spoiled, socialist, tr trust fund brat in a hoodie, is he going to follow through? And by the way, for both states, debates need to take place before a single vote is even cast. That's only fair for voters. Here now is Georgia Senate candidate Herschel Walker. Before I get to what changed in the dynamics, Raphael Warnock supports court packing, uh, an end to cash bail. Uh, he was involved in a youth camp uh, kid abuse scandal, uh, didn't want the police to interview the people involved. He's praised Farrakhan. He's praised Reverend Jeremiah Wright. Uh, he's compared the police to thugs and gangsters. He wants to get rid of fossil fuels. He wants CRT in our schools. He said the opioid crisis is only an issue because it's impacting uh, people that are white and suburban. Um, the guy also, by the way, has a problem paying, neglecting his children and failing to pay child care expenses. Uh, his ex-wife claimed he ran over uh, her in a domestic dispute. And I can keep going on. How, how is this race even close? Because the monitoring of media down in Georgia seems to have been negative against you, but now your message seems to be penetrating with recent polls. What happened? Well, the reason why, Sean, is I'm getting out meeting the people and uh, I'm talking to the people and the people are speaking. You know, they've spent over $50 million against me, but the race is still tied. I'm up by one. And the reason why is that people want to change in Washington. Senator Warnock is a cut from the cloth of Joe Biden. And what I mean by that is he believe in higher taxes. He believe in open borders. He voted to put men and women sports. And that's not what the Georgia people want. The Georgia people want someone they can trust and they can trust in Herschel Walker. So no matter what, he's not going to uh, talk anything. The media is not going to say anything positive about me. But I've done a lot of positive things. He's done a lot of negative things. But let's not talk about that. Let's talk about his record as a senator. As a senator, he hasn't done a good job. And it's time for someone else to take that seat back for the people because that, uh, that seat belongs to the people of Georgia. What percentage of the time does Raphael Warnock vote with Chuck Schumer and with Joe Biden? It is 96% of the time, 96% of the time, and, and he don't even want to campaign with Joe Biden now. He's trying to distance himself from it, but he can't. He can't distance himself because he's, he's just, like I say, he cut from that same cloth of Joe Biden. I've called him a wolf in sheep's clothing. He pretends he's trying to help you when he's there all the time. He's continuing to hurt you. You've seen that the people here are hurting from the uh, economy. The people here are hurting from the crime, but yet he's profited while he's been in office. 
And, you know, if, if anyone is going to hurt, well, it should be the well, leaders, doubled his, not the people profit. that put you in office. He doubled his income, Herschel. Oh, How no, do you he double profited. your income as a politician? <laughs> well, and this is, this is, he's only been in, in Washington for a little bit, and now his income has gone up. And now you said that he wanted to debate me, but he hadn't completely said he wanted to debate. He still have a couple of things. He said, oh, if you do this, if you do that, why don't he just show up on October the 14th for a fair and equitable debate that's about the people so the people can see the contrast between the two of us. And I want why people to continue they because sooner? they're going to continue to raise money. I want to know why well, they won't debate funny, before uh, a single vote is cast with early voting. Well, I can tell you the reason why. It's, it's like a game for them. They've been raising money. And that's why I tell people to go to teamherschel.com and let's raise this money so we can get them into a debate because all they want to do is put negative ads out there because they can't win on the issues. They can't win on the issues. And now since they see that the polls are changing, they're being told by their people, hey, you got to debate, you got to debate. Well, he's still putting criteria in it. And I'm telling him to put his big man pants on, show up in Savannah, Georgia on <laughs> October 14th. Let's debate. And people can see the contrast between the two of us. Well, the only problem is with these late debates, a lot of people will have voted by then. That's to me, is a problem. I think debates should take place before a single vote is cast. Uh, but I will be watching. We are looking forward to it. Congratulations on your recent poll uh, surging. I think this could be the race that decides the balance of power in the Senate. Uh, Herschel, uh, we wish you the best. Got to be honest with you. I think it should be mandatory in every race that involves a federal job. In other words, president, vice president, United States House of Representatives, that's Congress, and of course the Senate. I think debate should be required so that the people, the voters, can hear and see from each of the candidates that are running for whatever the office is. And the only reason I can imagine that anybody would not want to debate is they feel like politically that a debate will show the voters something that will not make them look good and maybe will make their opponent look better and therefore they don't want to do anything to give their opponents a leg up, including facing the voters together. That's just one thing. And by the way, looking at the last polls, the last three national polls that have come out, one of them, the first one, showed um, Herschel Walker up one point. The next one showed him up three. And the most recent one showed him up three points over Raphael Warnock. It's going to be a big race. That would be an amazing flip. That may be the flip in the makeup of the United States Senate politically that would give Republicans, both the House, which they're almost certainly going to win now, and the Senate. And of course, what Joe Biden, he was out there last night, what he was trumpeting was, if he gets one more senator than what he has now, he said, I will codify Roe v. Wade at the national level. We will make abortion legal with no limits. Just saying, why do we have to politicize everything? Why can't we just do things because they're the right things to do? It's crazy. In the old 
abortion picture in the United States before Roe v. Wade, abortion wasn't illegal. It wasn't. It was left up to the individual states. That's what our founders wanted our government to do. Make government be the representatives of the people. And when you're doing and crafting laws, make those be the responsibility of the legislative body that is closest to the people. In the case of abortion, it was a state determination previously. And everybody wants you to think that the recent Roe v. Wade overturn means that abortion is illegal. The Supreme Court, those evil conservatives, they took abortion away from women. They assaulted women's rights. Not so. It's up to the people of the states. And there are quite a few states that have stepped up and they have made it very obvious that within their states, abortion is legal. You know what? That's okay. That's okay. The people's representatives decided. Now, in this election atmosphere that we're in that is so contentious, don't think for a second it's not going to get any worse. Oh, my gosh. You wait till late October, early November. You won't be able to watch television. You won't be able to watch NFL, your favorite college team, without being blanketed with political ads. What's going on right now in Florida, a couple of big elections there, Governor Ron DeSantis is up for re-election, and we don't hear much about this, but Senator Marco Rubio, he also is up for re-election, and they are leading their Democrat challenges in their respective races. Polling from the Susquehanna Polling and Research Firm, they found that DeSantis is leading Democrat Representative Charlie Crist by four points, or 47 to 43%. However, 10% remain undecided in that race. Additionally, Charlie Crist has an edge among decided independents, 36 to 31%, but nearly one-third of the independents are still undecided. The survey surmises that the undecided independents could break for DeSantis because 45% of independents view DeSantis favorably, while they view Crist more unfavorably than favorably by a 39 to 32 margin. Rubio also leads his challenger, Representative Val Demings, by three percentage points, or 47 to 44%. However, his lead has vastly narrowed over the last year in this particular poll as he led Demings by 11 points in a hypothetical matchup last year. Further, independents tend to side with Demings as she leads Rubio in this group, 41%, to the senator's 32%. Now, let me just stop there and ask you this. Do you remember who Val Demings is? Val Demings in the House of Representatives, I got to tell you, she is so mean. I don't understand why women that get into federal level government in the House or the Senate, they all seem like they have to be angry all the time and be mean when they say things. Val Demings was heavily involved in both of the impeachments of Donald Trump, and she was nasty mean. And she is 
many times when she gets in a conversation with any conservative whatsoever. So, another poll, AARP, also found both DeSantis and Rubio leading their respective challengers. DeSantis leads Chris 50 to 47%. Unlike the previous survey, this shows DeSantis with a four-point advantage with independent voters. The governor also enjoys a 51-47 favorable rating, while Christ is underwater. 43% had a favorable view of Christ, the former Florida governor, 48% an unfavorable view. Rubio's lead over Demings narrows to two points in the AARP poll, 49-47. to This survey shows Rubio with a three-point advantage among independent voters. Polls, all they do is give you kind of a probability look. There's an old saying in politics, live by the polls, die by the polls. What you got to do is go win people. And if you win people, polls don't matter. They're going to vote for you. Moving on to a very closely watched um, story, and I'm joking when I say that. The White House, Joe Biden's White House, is continuing to aggressively push messaging to de-associate the monkeypox outbreak with gay male community as the vast majority of cases continue to manifest among men who have sex with men. Now this whole story, we, we, we should be able to stop right there. I never have understood this, uh, this messaging issue that people deal with. For instance, if a crime is committed and it's a bad crime, I mean a really bad crime, and people that witnessed the crime being committed, they knew what the perpetrator looked like, they knew what the perpetrator was dressed in, what the perpetrator was driving, and oh, by the way, the perpetrator's skin color, you would think that when reported details of the crime to find out who the, 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 the guilty person was, you would include all of those distinguishing things. But you can't do that anymore. It's got to be politically correct. It's got to be sensitive. You can't demean anybody. You can't demean anybody. You can't say we can, as a government, we can associate monkeypox with the gay male community because that would give the gay male community a bad look, wouldn't it? But it's facts. Sometimes facts are uncomfortable. Sometimes they don't make us feel good, but sometimes they're true. Biden administration National Monkeypox Response Deputy Coordinator Dimitri Daskalakis argued at a White House press conference that the virus is a piece of DNA wrapped in some fat. Huh? <laughs> a piece of DNA wrapped in some fat. And it's unable, he said, to select certain sexual orientations. It's not smart, he argued. It can't distinguish between people based on their sexual orientation or gender. 
He argued that the virus is just an infection. It's not linked to an identity. Health authorities have noted that where data is available, the overwhelming majority of cases of monkeypox have come among gay men and the slightly larger overall demographic of men who have sex with men. The most recent California Department of Public Health data, for instance, shows that 97% of cases are made up of men. 94% of those are either gay or bisexual. Data out of Los Angeles County, meanwhile, it shows 98% of cases there as being among men, just 4% identifying as heterosexual. Daskalakis conceded that public health messaging should give some weight to the prevalence of the virus within the gay male community, signaling to people who are in the gay, bisexual, other men who have sex with men communities, and also transgender people who have sex with men, that it's really important to have awareness if it's circulating in the community is really a critical part of the messaging, he said. Yet, the coordinator warned public health officials against generating, you know, inordinate concern and really focusing on the infection as linked to an identity. There are other mechanisms for its transmission outside of sexual contact, he argued, including if you touch objects that individuals who've had monkeypox touch or if you have prolonged exposure to respiratory droplets. Now, Daskalakis is not a doctor. How did he come up with this medical for certain opinion and say that it's factual? Outside of sexual contact, he argued, including if you touch objects that individuals who've had monkeypox touch or if you have prolonged exposure to respiratory droplets. Let's just say that could that could be for one or two or three percent. But what about the 97 percent others, buddy? And then I go back to a week ago when we got the story and I, I read it. I was so afraid I would offend somebody. I read it verbatim. And it was a big expose of the first transmission of monkeypox from a human to a dog. And the next line in it said, the dog belonged to two gay men. And the big question was, who gave monkeypox to the dog? Maybe the dog uh, got some respiratory droplets in his mouth from one of his owners. And we got busted. <laughs> we actually got busted for reporting that story. Oh my gosh, where are we going, folks? In the United States of America, you can't just tell the truth. You have to couch the truth so it doesn't offend anybody that someone else doesn't want you to offend. It doesn't matter if in your offense, you're just giving actual facts and information. If they demean somebody that this preferred group is not supposed to be demeaned, 
you're a bad person just for telling the truth. Ah, luxury. The aroma is full-bodied, the flavor is decadent, the touch divine, and the drive? Yes, the drive of luxury is simply infinity. Introducing the Infinity Luxury Test Tour. If you think you are familiar with luxury, you haven't driven an infinity. Infinity of Elk Grove invites you to truly become familiar with luxury and take a luxury test tour. It's like a test drive, but with more luxury. We invite you to drive luxury to luxury, not for an hour or even a day, but for an entire weekend. Your choice. Select your Infinity and motor off to a luxury weekend in Lake Tahoe or Napa Valley. And yes, all the luxury is on us. Introduce yourself to LuxuryTestTour.com and truly become familiar with luxury. Infinity of Elk Grove is literally giving you the keys to a luxury experience like none other. LuxuryTestTour.com. Drive luxury, drive infinity. Infinity of Elk Grove. Expect more. What are you doing? Should we pick him up? He has Bud Light. He has an axe. But he has Bud Light. And an axe. I'm sure there's a reason for it. Hey, buddy. What's with the axe? It's a bottle opener. Hop in. Refreshingly smooth Bud Light. Always worth it. Look, here's Bud Light. And a chainsaw. So, Miss Harris, what makes you think you're a good fit with us here at Schmidt, Starks, and Sopransky? Oh, sir, there are so many reasons. I specialized in research and theoretical studies for several years at the Southampton Institute, mm -hmm. preceded by intensive graduate studies at Syracuse. <laughs> Certainly, my skills are well suited for a position here at Schmidt, Starks, and Sopransky. Oh, thanks. A job interview and a root canal on the same day. Want to get away? Get the heck out of there with Southwest Airlines. Fly coast to coast for $99 or less by November 3rd. It was nice meeting you, sir. Yes, we'll get back to you soon. Soon. Southwest Airlines, a symbol of freedom. Call 1-800-IFLY-SWA. You got a big weekend lined up? I hope you do, but don't be so busy that you don't stop somewhere in your weekend and go to truthnewsnet.org. Every Saturday morning when you get up, we have already published a, uh, a synopsis of the biggest stories of that week. We look back and pick those biggest stories out, and we give you those stories, but not in a normal news form. We give them to you in bullet pat. A bullet point format, which means we'll give you a couple of sentences explaining what's in the particular story about that event. If you've already heard about that event, you don't want any more information, you just go down to the next bullet point and click on that to get the next story. But if you want more details, at the end of that explanation, there's a blue arrow, which is a link. Click on that. It will take you to a full story that tells you everything about what those two or three sentences describe. It's called Saturday Bullet Points. It's our most read offering every week at truthnewsnet.org. So check it out when you're drinking your uh, mug of coffee Saturday morning and you may be watching the early college football games. Just grab and get the bullet point information so that you go through the rest of your weekend knowing what the heck is going on so you don't miss anything. 
Speaking of missing anything, I missed this one yesterday. I didn't hear about it until uh, late last night. A Louisiana judge ruled that President Biden must at least temporarily keep in place federal rule Title 42. Now, that rule was activated by the Trump administration as a public health measure to limit immigration during the COVID-19 pandemic. Now, Joe Biden still has not withdrawn the emergency proclamation that we are in a COVID-19 pandemic. So, according to the Biden administration, it still exists. And this public health measure should still exist for the same reasons. The judge is Robert Summerhays. And I know Robert, Judge Robert. He's a Trump appointee for the U.S. District Court for the Western District of Louisiana. And he imposed the preliminary injunction against the lifting of that order while the case advances through the court system. The CDC was set to end the decades-old rule on Monday. Now, if you don't know this, Title 42 more specifically allows for the removal of migrants if they come from somewhere facing a communicable disease. Over 1.9 million migrants have been expelled from the U.S. under the rules since April of 2020, about a month after the pandemic was declared. The request to stop the deactivation of Title 42 was brought before the Judge Summerhays in a suit filed by roughly two dozen attorneys general from Republican-run states. They argue that the Biden administration's ending of Title 42 enforcement violates the Administrative Procedures Act given the absence of a notice and comment period prior to rescinding the order. They also argue the administration didn't take into account the problems that decision would cause all of the states, especially those southern border states. The Biden administration argues Title 42 is a health order, which means the CDC has full authority to end it. The lifting of Title 42 is widely expected to cause a big surge in border crossings as immigration officials are going to lose one of their primary legal means of deporting illegal migrants. Republicans have warned of a human tsunami should Title 42 be lifted. What do you call what we got now? Oh my gosh. Two million so far while Biden's been president. Two million illegals have been caught crossing the southern border. Two million. And just imagine the tens, the hundreds of billions of dollars this is costing U.S. taxpayers. Nobody wants to come up with a number. Don't tell me they don't have the uh, capability of giving us a number of what it has cost. I'm sure Texas can tell you what it's cost them. I'm sure New Mexico can, Arizona, and California as well. But it's no big deal. Federal government, they have sole authority over immigration law and immigration law enforcement. And they just decided, we're not going to enforce it. Some of the nation's most high-profile historians have gone beyond the role of student of history to engage in partisan politics, advising the president on his agenda and potential legacy 
while at the same time they're attacking Donald Trump and his supporters of the Make America Great Again movement aligned with him, and these historians are calling those that are part of the MAGA American Great Again movement threats to the country. So who are these experts? Most recently, CNN's presidential historian Douglas Brinkley lambasted the MAGA movement as treasonous and insurrectionist during a TV appearance earlier this week. He said there's an ultra-right MAGA contingent in this country that wants to overthrow the U.S. government that despises our institutions, our constitutional foundations, because they believe in a deep state conspiracy and they cling to it, said Brinkley, who, by the way, is a history professor at Rice University, which is in Texas. About a month earlier, NBC News presidential historian, author Michael Beschloss, appeared to insinuate that Trump should be executed, literally killed, after the Washington Post and other news outlets reported that some of the classified documents that were sought by the FBI at Trump's Mar-a-Lago residence related to nuclear weapons, Beschloss tweeted this, Rosenbergs were convicted for giving U.S. nuclear secrets to Moscow, and they were executed June of 1953. One prominent historian took Beschloss to task for drawing this comparison, arguing historical competence is crucial when his colleagues enter the public square to support or oppose certain politicians. A presidential historian like Beschloss, who rushes to tweet out moral equivalents between two convicted and executed spies found guilty of passing nuclear bomb data to the Soviet Union, and an ex-president engaged in a dispute over classified classification of documents in custody of presidential papers that is currently in the process of adjudication by a court-appointed official is, well, no historian at all. So days after that nasty tweet, the NBC News historian appeared on MSNBC and told viewers to, quote, Vote as if your life depends on it, because it might. Before claiming Republicans were threatening violence following the Mar-a-Lago search and comparing the current moment to combating fascism in the 30s and enduring a civil war in the 1860s. You know what this all, this all shows? Anybody, at any time, anywhere, it doesn't matter. If you want to think something, In the United States of America, guess what? You can think it. If you want to say something anywhere in the United States, no matter what it is, you can say it. We, the people, have those rights. Where'd we get them from? Nobody gave them to us. They made that very clear in the Declaration of Independence. And to confirm it, put some exclamation marks on it, they came back after the Constitution was written And they said, just so we make sure everybody understands, the federal government can have control of certain things, but these 10 things, these will always stay the sole rights of the people of the United States of America. And they gave us our first 10 amendments to the Constitution. They're called the Bill of Rights. First one, First Amendment, 
freedom of speech, Second Amendment, right to defend yourself, to bear arms, to hold and bear arms. And it goes on and on and on and on. And they're making sure the government then, and the government even now, 260 years later, everybody knows and understands all of these things that are detailed in these Ten Amendments. They have the sole responsibility to be protected by the people. Government, don't even think about touching it. And yet, they fight it. They want to ignore it. They want to cherry pick what of those 10 could be kept and what should be blown away. And they're the sole arbiters in their own minds to be the ones that can blow them away. So, a criminal probe requested by an incumbent president. The seizure of clothing, medical records, tax records, 500 pages of attorney-client privilege documents not covered by a warrant. The sharing of privileged documents with investigators. More than simply appointing a special master to referee an evidence dispute, U.S. District Judge Eileen Cannon exposed this week a Department of Justice search of former President Donald Trump's home that was initiated by his chief Democrat rival that was carried out so sloppily that it violated the least intrusive mandate, the FBI agent's manual, and that failed to keep legally protected materials from falling into the hands of investigators. The problems uncovered so far place Trump at risk of suffering injury from the government's retention and potential use of privileged materials, the judge wrote, adding that a future indictment of the ex-president based on the August 8th search of Mar-a-Lago would result in reputational harm of a decidedly different order of magnitude. In other words, Judge Cannon was not convinced by the Department of Justice's argument that its honor system, known as filter or taint teams, was adequate to protect the 45th president's constitutional rights. The court takes a different view on this record, she wrote. Cannon's Labor Day ruling is simply an opening salvo. It's going to get ramped up, and it's going to get ugly. It's going to get nasty. Whether Trump's claims of executive privilege, attorney-client privilege, or an unconstitutional overly broad search prevail will be decided sometime in the future, sometime between today and November of 2024. It's all, this whole thing is about trying to keep Trump from even being able to run for president again. One thing is clear. The FBI and its overseers at the Biden Justice Department, they bumbled on what was certain to be one of the most scrutinized search warrant executions in American history. And that's according to one of the Bureau's own former and highly respected executives. The more that's revealed, the more it looks like a kind of sloppy government overreach is in play. That came from former Assistant FBI Director of Intelligence Kevin Brock. It seems more than a bit loose to those of us who have executed numerous search warrants. And then Jonathan Turley, 
He's a George Washington University law professor, an avowed Democrat, did not vote for Donald Trump, said the judge's ruling cited the sort of FBI failures that in the past would have enraged liberals who have gone silent about such concerns in the Trump era. Many faculty on the left continue the curious objections to a court seeking review of the FBI or not accepting its overbroad claims of authority. Turley wrote earlier this week, it is a bizarre shift that we have seen in other Trump investigations where liberals suddenly express shock that a court would override sweeping national security claims or seek to review the Justice Department's review of material for privilege. Turley noted, there appears to have been mistakes by the taint team and that privileged material, as well as an assortment of private material from medical records to tax records, were seized. Now let me ask you this. How many of you think that any of this negative stuff or anything that could be perceived to be negative against Donald Trump, that is privilege, like tax records, like medical records, how many of you think it's not going to be secretly leaked? To the media. Who would they leak it to? Ah, the Washington Post, Politico, the New York Times, MSNBC, CNN. They just quietly, very secretly, they go into their offices and see some material in a white plain envelope left on their desk. Your Honor, we don't know where these things came from, and we're news people. It was presented to us. We don't know who did it. We don't know what their purposes were, but it's here, and so we just reported on it. We didn't mean to do anything breaking the law. You don't think that's happened a bunch? Think back a few years to the Mueller investigation. It's already started in this one. Every day over the last two weeks, some little tidbit comes out that purportedly implicates Donald Trump in wrongdoing. And they don't present any documentation to back up what they're saying. It's nothing but a leak, an illegal leak coming from people in the Department of Justice. And that means it's absolutely the worst kind of adjudication of a case. They weren't held accountable in the Mueller investigation, the Russia, Russia, Russia thing. None of it ever stuck. It was proven later on after, what, three years and $40 million? Trump didn't do anything. They couldn't find anything that was illegal that he could be prosecuted for. But that doesn't stop him from going forward and doing more and more and saying more and more. They want the orange man gone. Want him gone. Unless what popped up yesterday, this is going to enrage everybody on the left. That FBI warrant to search Trump's home in Mar-a-Lago, it's maybe, it's better than 50%, it's going to be thrown out entirely in court. Now this is according to that same FBI boss, Kevin Brock. News broke over Labor Day that Trump had been granted a legal win when a federal judge ordered a special master to review the documents seized from his house. I think the government would be concerned as well because there is concern that the search warrant itself was overly broad 
from the get-go. This is Kevin Brock. Because the scope that they were looking for was every single document generated during the Trump administration, that just seems too inexcusably overbroad. Now, there's indications that they, the FBI, collected much more than they were authorized to collect. And you and me, when we hear that, we go, duh. (laughs) That's what they do every time. They don't give a rip about the law when they're going after somebody. They've proven it again and again. i got to be honest with you. I don't know anything about every other intelligence agency across the globe. I don't. But I will tell you, this FBI, the one that you and I are dealing with and watching do their thing right now, the one that was under Robert Mueller when he was FBI director, and then under James Comey when he was FBI director, and now under Ray as FBI director, those people collectively ran the most evil intelligence agency in U.S. history. And I can say that because I I don't know every other one, but I would reason that if they were more corrupt than this one, somebody would say, hey, they were, and here's why. Brock said he believes the search warrant could be suppressed entirely. If I'm a prosecutor, he said, I'm concerned going forward that the search warrant could be suppressed, and for those types of reasons, and they would lose access to anything that was collected throughout the search as fruit of the poisonous tree. So I think that's got to be in the back of their minds. Brock also criticized how the FBI raided Trump's home and how usually when the FBI does investigations, they try to take the least intrusive route possible at first. You go into a home, you set up a system where those things that you seize are assiduously documented, said Brock, explaining how FBI searches normally work. They are given a specific tracking number, a barcode, and each piece is gone through meticulously before you leave the premises to make sure that it's within the scope of the document. That's just part one, he said. Part two is a warrant is not to be overly broad as to what parts of the residence can be searched. You can only search those things where it's reasonably expected you would find the type of evidence that you're looking for. Now, even if this judge, this district judge down in Florida that Trump appointed, even if she would say, FBI, you were wrong, you can't use any of those documents. It's not going to stop there. There will be an appeal made. And what will happen? The Department of Justice will do what's called forum shopping. And they will make their appeal, I promise you, in the appeals court in Washington, D.C. And I think you know why. They know they could get a favorable opinion. They're pretty sure that they could get a favorable opinion from that court down there because it's got a bunch of judge judicial advocates on it, people that are going to do the things that the left want them to do. I promise you, we're looking at that happening. I think that warrant should be thrown out altogether. 
and any evidence that was pulled out of that illegal warrant, I think should be shut up and nobody gets to hear about it. Nobody gets to see any of it. The truth. Straight. No chaser. TNN. The Truth News Network. The world tells you to wait. That waiting is polite. And good things will just come. But if I waited to be invited in, I never would have stood out. If I waited for change to happen, I never would have made a difference. So make the first move. Don't wait to be told your place. Take it. Don't wait for people to find you. Find them. In work. In love. In life. And most of all, don't wait to be given power. Because here's what they won't tell you. We already have it. Here's the latest traffic report. Looks like miles of trouble-free driving with Napa Auto Parts. Your local Napa Auto Parts dealer in Modesto has a full line of quality parts for your car or truck. Napa Auto Parts keeps America running and Modesto Auto and Truck is ready to keep your vehicle running in tip-top shape for years to come. So if you think your car or truck needs help under the hood, think of Napa Auto Parts at Modesto Auto and Truck Parts, 924 G Street in downtown Modesto, 529-8342. 529-8342. In a world where truth is in short supply, you have an abundance of it right here. TNN, the Truth News Network. I don't want to miss a story that's a really important one. It's ongoing. It's that uh, that order that the government has reached out to these big tech companies, and they are requiring that a lot of emails back and forth between Big tech companies and people in our government are turned over to be analyzed to see exactly what was going on. Were people colluding between big tech and our government for political purposes and maybe censoring people that has opposing opinions? A judge ordered members of the administration to turn over emails from their conversations with social media companies. Those emails will be sent to the Attorney General of Missouri, Eric Schmidt, who joins us now. Mr. Attorney General, this includes emails from Karine Jean-Pierre and Dr. Fauci. What are you suggesting they did? Well, well we've, we've had a big couple of weeks here, Stuart, uh, with uncovering really a vast censorship enterprise. And uh, what we've uncovered so far is that at least 45 uh, folks from the Biden administration were in constant communication uh, with these uh, social media platforms to censor and suppress speech. Had weekly calls on censorship calls. Uh, these social media platforms were changing their terms of service to deplatform folks. And then in addition to that, you had literally a high-ranking Facebook official texting the Surgeon General of the United States saying, hey, we did what you asked, what more can we do? So that's what we uncovered last week. This week, and you referenced it in the intro here, a federal judge ordered now that the White House officials, DOJ had been fighting this, White House officials now, 
now these white these White House officials have to uh, produce their emails, like Fauci and the press secretary. And so that's very important because now we're going to figure out what they were doing and what their communications were with these social media platforms too. And all of this should scare Americans that their government is actually you know moving and and using and outsourcing their censorship to these social media platforms to silence Americans. Was it censorship? Or was it manipulation by the White House of the CDC? Well, it's direct communication and issuing edicts that these social media platforms were following. So that is an extension of the government, which is why this is so concerning. You know, people say a private company can do what a private company wants. Here's what we, here we have an example now that's been uncovered for the first time. It's the first time we've been able to look under the hood where the federal government is directing these social media uh, platforms to deplatform people, to silence folks, and they're doing it. So at that point now, we've reached some, the, you know, the government silencing somebody in the town square via the social media platforms online, which is, which is illegal, by the way, which is why we filed the lawsuit. And so I think this discovery is shining a light on um, how intricate this was, how involved they were, and we can't wait to see Dr. Fauci's emails because we know, as Jen Psaki was saying when she was press secretary, they admitted that they were flagging these posts directly with Facebook and Twitter to take them down. The, the government doesn't get to do that. They don't get to outsource their censorship, which is why this lawsuit's so important and the revelations so far have been shocking. Mr. Attorney General, uh, when you get those emails, I'm sure you'll take a look at them. Would you come back on the show to tell us what you found? We'd appreciate that. We, we'd love to, Stuart. Thanks so much, Mr. Attorney General. We'll see you soon. Stuart Varney with the Missouri Attorney General. Now, you haven't heard much about these particular things. And if you happen to, you know, flip channels to CNN or MSNBC or even ABC, CBS, NBC, the big broadcast, you're not going to see any of this talk on those outlets. Why is that? Well, it's because they sit at the feet of the federal government and they do and they report what the federal government wants them to report on. And obviously, they don't want <laughs> they don't want this conversation to go out there that they got caught with their pants down. Figuratively, of course, but that what we all knew was happening during the Biden administration was actually happening. And what is that? Censorship of private citizens in a direct violation of First Amendment rights. It's amazing that here we are and we're so far into the Biden administration and from the get-go, everybody knew this was happening. It happened during the Trump administration. Not that Trump people were having these communications, emails and text with big tech companies, but that Democrats were doing it then. And they were bragging about it. Yeah, we're doing that. Ah, you know, that's what we do. It's our way to reach out and, and diminish those who think opposite of the way we think. And they have the chutzpah to get up and claim that Trump supporters, those evil MAGA people, whatever his denigration line of the day is to talk about conservatives who disagree with him, they have the gall to say that conservatives slash Republicans slash MAGA people are a threat to our democracy when they're surreptitiously on a daily basis, they got caught reaching out 
with big tech companies and telling these big tech companies, hey, you need to censure this guy and this news outlet. You need to make sure that nothing is allowed to be posted there. Look what happened to the former president. He had over 100 million Twitter followers. And in one fell swoop, Twitter pulled him down. You don't think for a second that that was done because they were getting blasted. They were getting blasted. And uh, they can't let that happen. They've got to keep the narrative. They've got to keep it going because that's what they do. They sit at the feet of Democrats and do exactly what they're told to do. Wow. Big day. Big Friday. Thanks so much for joining us. Look, we've got a big weekend coming up. College football. NFL football. Have a great weekend. Enjoy it. We'll see you Monday morning at TNN Live.